Uh, welcome to Valentine's Day here at the Grace Place. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Cold Cookie will be here following uh, the service. So those of you who have enjoyed that in the past are going to enjoy it again. And, and those of you who don't have no idea what that is, uh, it is an act of love from us today to say we really appreciate you and love you, care about you, and hope you like cookies and ice cream. So <clears throat> we have been in the series The Walk, and uh, this uh, it, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 14 through 19, so you find your place there, and we'll go and read that in just a moment. Uh, today, Conversations of the Heart, it's fitting that we talk about the heart right on uh, Valentine's Day and uh, kind of clear up some misunderstandings about the heart and about what love really is all about. And uh, this was a, a great example here, you know, the uh, servant's heart, do we, do we really have that or do we think we have that? And uh, we have something maybe different. Uh, Paul speaks to the heart here in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. If you found your place there, please stand for the reading of God's word as we look together. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Isn't that great? We are all his kids, every one of us, every person on earth has been named after the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, we come to you today inviting you to enlighten us through your word and bring understanding to our hearts about what our heart really is. And Lord, that we might not misunderstand that the conversations that we have are exposing our heart. And so we might not just listen to others, but listen to our own voice speaking. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, you said in your word. And so we want to know what's going on in our heart, not just what's happening in others. And we invite you to enlighten us today and bring us together under your, your dominion and lordship and kingdom the seat of decision-making might be ruled by you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's a great day to talk about the heart. And uh, when we talk about our hearts, uh, we're not always talking about the same thing. And I think especially, you know, culturally speaking and how we grow up thinking about uh, that conversation about the heart, when someone asks us, you know, for instance, what is on your heart? Um, we often are, are more uh, philosophical about our responses. And we, you know, we often answer, we, we begin an answer sometimes with, I think. And quite often, uh, we begin an answer to that question with, I feel, uh, which highlights uh, our emotions. Uh, the I think highlights our philosophical ideals about 
what is going on, what's happening, what we think about the information that we've been fed and, and the things that we can see and, and put our hands on and, and, and what we have uh, uh, to be able to give attention to and what, our, uh, what we surmise is going on as a result of all of that. What we, what we think is, is a product of what we are hearing, uh, what we're smelling, what we're seeing, and uh, you know, our experiences in life, right? And so the Bible uh, teaches us and Paul is emphasizing that today, that this is not a great idea to let your life be ran by what you think, your philosophical ideas. And why would that be? Well, God tells us that you can't see it all. You don't know it all. And you do not understand what's behind, the impetus behind uh, things that are going on on the planet and, and around you and in your situation, circumstances, and environment. So you're always at risk to miss the truth by making your own summation about what is really going on in this hour, in this moment. I love the Old Testament. It talked about uh, a tribe in Israel that was sought out because these men had an understanding of the seasons of the time and what was really going on. And as you investigate and look into it, uh, what made them, uh, gave them more wisdom about decision making and, and, and a better understanding about what was going on was they spent incredible amount of time with God and his counsel. In fact, it tells us in, in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of understanding really what's going on is the Lord. And then, of course, there's that side of things that's, that's emotional for us. You know, that those are conversations of the heart that's going on. And, and so that's where we, we talk about, I feel, I feel this, I feel that. And, and there are people you know and I know, and there's nobody in this room like that, that are ruled by their emotions, right? Do you know anybody like that? It's just, you know, they, that's how they are, are making decisions in life, you know? Uh, we have recently been in the, the housing market, and it's uh, just crazy out there right now. And I don't know, anybody else besides us in the housing market and just trying to buy a home and stuff? And it's insane. And people are just throwing money at, at things that they should not be throwing money at, you know, because you rationally look at this, this home that is 20 years old or whatever, and there's all kinds of things that need fixing and, and stuff like that. And, and people are, are going by their feelings. They're dreaming the dream. And they're thinking, you know, I could do this and I could do that. And, and then there's buyer's remorse, right? After that's all over, it's like uh, the real estate call, you got it. You know, you, you got the home. And then there's like, oh, no, I got the home. <laughs> and where am I going to get the money? And, you know, it's like, so decisions being made out of feelings, right? And out of, out of emotions. And I believe that the conversations of our heart, they'll reveal what we are thinking. They reveal kind of where we are uh, in, in life, but they certainly reveal how we're making decisions, right? When both the Old Testament and the New Testament speak about our heart, it's not really speaking uh, exclusively about emotions. Emotions has a piece in it, but it's not speaking about emotions. Primarily, it's talking to us about the seat of our decision making. In our day, when we speak of our heart, we're often talking about uh, feelings and emotions, but Paul reveals that the conversations of, of, of God, you know, that uh, he, he wants to reveal to our heart real truth. He wants us walking in, in not just our emotions, because it doesn't really matter how you feel. Only your emotions are telling you, you know, how you feel. That's all they are, is just telling you how you feel. They're not necessarily telling you the truth. 
We've all found this to be true at times where we, were, we felt somebody was um, indifferent to us or maybe didn't like us or something like that. And it was based on uh, you know, some experiences that we had where maybe they walked in the room and ignored us or they looked angry when they, they looked at us. And, and we made a whole, we went way down the road, right, with our feelings and our emotions because, you know, this experience. As a pastor, I've had this where, you know, um, people would say, you know, you didn't shake my hand, you didn't talk to me. And uh, I was like, I, I honest, I didn't even see you. I, I'm sorry. I was thinking about something when I walked past where you were, and I did not even see that you were there. I apologize. I'm sorry. I need to be more attentive, right? But our emotions will take us way down the road, right? And we will make all kinds of decisions based on our feelings, and then later find out, ooh, that wasn't really true, right? That, that wasn't the case. They don't really hate me. They like me. And uh, they love me, and, and, and so on and so forth. You know? And so we find out that down the line, we don't want to be ruled by our feelings. We want to understand that our feelings, uh, we're feeling sad, we're feeling happy, we're feeling uh, fearful, or whatever. We want to understand what that means, but we don't want those feelings to rule our life, right? And so at the heart of, of what Paul is talking about, what the whole of Scripture is talking about with reference to uh, the heart is... The mind, the will, and the emotions. Say that with me. Mind, will, and emotions. That's primarily what is being talked about in Scripture when um, God is talking about the heart. First, the, the mental processes, uh, which is the major part where action and reaction take place, and uh, which is it leads a person uh, throughout their life. Their mental processing how they're going to process with their mind the information that is in front of them. Emotions are a part of it, uh, and they, they, are, they are only reactions, kind of the, the icing on the cake that hopefully enriches our life, you know, after we're processing properly, right, uh, what is going on. Then emotions come and enrich our life. The Bible teaches us that we should rejoice with those who are, are, are rejoicing, you know, that we should be happy for them. You know, so when I find a house, which I have, you should be happy for me, right? <laughs> and we should be happy for each other, right, in the good things that are going on. And it says that those that are weeping, we should weep with them. We should, we should empathize. We should feel their sorrow and things like that. But it's all icing on the cake uh, in terms of, of this, this heart process. And then finally, will. Will is huge. It's the seat uh, of will is, is uh, discretionary, uh, volition, decision-making that's going on. But at, really at the seat of will is, is where decisions are made uh, between the, the rational and the emotive. And, and this is what uh, is, Paul is kind of homing in on. I want you to be able to make really good decisions with your life. And so uh, the Hebrew word for heart is lebab. And uh, it's rendered heart as the seat of desire, inclination, or will, and can be the seat of emotions. Uh, the heart could be regarded as the seat of knowledge and wisdom, a synonym for the mind. The meaning often occurs when the heart appears uh, as a verb. We'll see throughout Scripture where it says to know. Thus you are to know uh, in your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. Yet the Lord hath not given you a heart 
to perceive or to know. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4. Solomon prayed that God would give his servant understanding heart to judge the people, uh, that I may discern between what is good and, and, and what is bad. And that is in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. And repeated again in, in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 4, verse 29. The prayer of Solomon asking God uh, to give him understanding in his heart. Memory is an activity of the heart. Uh, and we see this throughout scripture. Job twenty-two twenty-two is an example. Lay up in your heart the words, uh, in, in God's word in your heart. David said, your words, Lord, have I hid in my heart? I've, I've memorized, I understand. Uh, the words, you know, uh, that you are saying and you want me to obey. And I've hid them in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Greek word for heart uh, we're familiar with. Uh, and when I say it, you're going to immediately recognize cardia, right? We get it here in English, cardiac. And it is the chief organ or the uh, of physical life. Uh, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, uh, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. And that great pump in the center of our being is what's pushing that blood out to all of the parts of our body. And that's uh, the life of the body. And, and it occupies the most important place in the human system. And we all know that when the heart ceases to beat, the life ends. Just this life on earth and eternity begins. And so filled with the understanding of that, Paul opens this passage and he says to us, to all of us who will hear wisdom, he said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I want my heart to have the proper posture. I want my seat of decision making to be his throne room, the place where he sits. So Paul sets the stage for the posture of the heart. Now, if the heart is to control the decision-making, then Paul says the Lord should control the heart. It is Jeremiah who said the heart can be desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's when we are trying to devise and lead our own life and, and move in our own direction, and we're making all the decisions, we're moving by emotion, or we're moving by how we process life and look at things without counsel from God, and we make horrible decisions. Jeremiah says, man, it's, it's, it leads you down a horrible path. Proverbs, Solomon said it this way. There's a way that seems right to a man. Processed it, felt it. This should be the right way to go. But he says the end thereof is what? Destruction. We are always inclined to make decisions that will lead us away from God when he is not on the seat of the decision-making place in our hearts. And so Paul says, as we read in the passage, that according to the riches of the glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's saying, this is the place where God should be seated. This is the decision-making place of your life. And so you don't want God just intellectually. There's a lot of people that are engaged in religion who have an intellectual relationship with God. 
They have a, 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 an understanding of, of uh, you know, biblical history. They have uh, understanding of scriptures and, and they can put things together and ideas and, and thoughts and, and theology together. But they have never empowered him to rule in their heart. They've never taken this distance between the head and the heart and engaged it so that God is enthroned there. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't be like the religious people who are always searching and struggling to connect, but be those who have surrendered. I bow my knee, bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and empower him to be the leader of your life. Proverbs 23 and 7, the heart, uh, you know, it shows how the heart is connected to thinking. As a person thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so we want to think correctly about ourselves and about the world around us. I, I often think about uh, how the identity crisis recently, it's been on my heart a lot, the identity crisis that is America today, right? All over the world, really, but in America today, uh, very pronounced, we see this, this huge identity crisis. People don't know who they are. And, you know, it is, it is incredible that, that the links and the extents that people are going to to try to define themselves, gender-wise. You know, um, every time you, you, you uh, think you kind of have a basic understanding of what's going on, another 30 different genders have been added. You know? <laughs> people are struggling about identity, and I don't mean in any way to make fun of this, seriously. This is a huge, huge struggle. It is the direction we go when God's not seated where he belongs. He's the one that said he created male and female. And, and when we are in, uh, in relationship with him and the king of kings and the Lord of lords is on the throne, clarity comes. We have an understanding about who we are. And in this passage in Proverbs 23, verse 7, a person you know, uh, thinks in his heart, so is he. When, we are, when God's not on the seat of the throne, whatever we're thinking, you know, whatever's going on up here in the processes, whatever emotions we're feeling, begin to be lived out in actions in our heart and our life. And it's why we're seeing what we're seeing all around us. People being led astray. And, and uh, mentally tormented by the enemy. To not understand who they are, what they were, what, how they were born, how they're loved and cherished by God, how to value what, what God has created them to be, what He gave them in their body, what He gave them in their mind, what He gave them in their spirit. We're lost without God on the seat of the throne. And so uh, Proverbs, Solomon says, you start thinking in your heart and that's what you become. And then it talks about in Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 66, it talks about uh, using the, the language to ponder something in one's heart uh, means to consider it carefully or to think about it. What we're pondering, what we're thinking upon uh, is going to have an effect on, on how we behave and, and what we're doing. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 20, it says, to set one's heart on. And is literal Hebrew means to give attention to something, uh, to worry about it, that that, uh, that is something that our heart is affixed to. And if God is not on the throne, then our heart is affixed to worry. Our heart is affixed to fear. Our heart is affixed to all kinds of things that it should not be. But when Jesus is on the throne, our heart is fixed on Him. He's big enough. 
to take care of every problem. There is nothing. With men, these things are impossible, Scripture says, but with God, nothing is impossible. To call to the heart is another phrase that's used. Uh, something means to, to, to remember something. Out of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 8. And when God is enthroned and we love Him and we're passionate about seeking Him and going after Him, we recall in troubled times His Word. We recall His faithfulness in our life, how God has preserved us and watched over us, protected us. I remember when I didn't have a job, and God provided a job for me. I remember when I didn't have a car, and now God has, has blessed us with two. I remember when you know I had no idea where my next meal was coming from, and God walked through and, and provided. I can remember being in Bible college, and, and I can remember not being able to pay the bill or buy a book. And I go to the mailbox, and I open the mailbox, and somebody that was from my home church, who I would never hear from, they've never written me or sent me a card, said, God laid you on my heart today. And they sent $50 that paid for the, the immediate bills that was in front of me. I, re, I have this faithfulness uh, memory of God, of, of His faithfulness in my life. It's in my heart because He's seated on the throne. And He reminds me, I've always been faithful. I've always taken care of you. And when I'm tempted to fear and say, but whoa, whoa, what about this? God says, remember this? I took care of it, and I am able to take care of all that is in your way and ahead of you. All of these are, are functions of the mind, but they are connected to the heart in biblical language. So Paul goes on to say, uh, repeat that last phrase with you, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. A couple of things out of this section of the passage. First of all, what we think and what we feel do not result in love or in loving actions. I want to say that to you again. What we think and what we feel do not always result in love or loving actions. You see, part of the, the, the situation with the world's understanding of love, the American understanding of love, right? We love chocolate. <laughs> and I love my wife, right? Is that different love? It better be. <laughs> or I'm calling the doctor. <laughs> you know, we love cats. You know, some of them don't love cats. We love dogs, right? And uh, so... What we think and what we feel do not always result in love and loving action. And part of it is we have no definition for what love really is. You know, none of us want to think about love being sacrificial. Like, I won't love you. I mean, I won't spend a lifetime with you because that's not God's best choice for your life or my life. Said the person who was being tempted to an adulterous relationship, right? I will not love you. That's called sacrifice. There are sacrificial acts of love that we don't like to talk about because we are caught up in emotion. I feel like I love this person. I want to be with them. Just They really understand me. They know me. My husband, my wife, they doesn't, doesn't really understand me, doesn't really know me. This person, oh man, I wish I'd met them earlier, right? Because we're all moving with emotion and feeling. 
But when Jesus is seated on the throne, we really understand what love is all about. He said, before you were born, I died for you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's unbelievable love, isn't it? Incredible love that we struggle to really understand. The two words in this, in this passage that are, are really important, rooted and grounded in love, are how we start and end in love. It is seating Christ on that throne on a daily basis, right? Because we've all had that encounter where we walked the aisle and initially gave our hearts to Christ, and we gave our lives to Him. But the distractions of the world and all the things that have been going on have caused us to push Him out of the seat. And we've empowered ourselves again. And we don't even see it until moments like this where the Holy Spirit enlightens us as speaking to you, even as I'm talking, and sharing things with your heart and your mind about how you may have drifted from what God was leading and directing when he was seated on the throne of your heart. There were lots of things that when I made a surrendered walk to the Lord that he began to deal with in my heart and life. And when he started dealing with my dating life, you know, this is when I got to college, and, and it wasn't a complete train wreck, right? I'd, <laughs> I'd had some success, had a, had, you know, a long-term relationship coming out of high school, got a Dear John letter about three or four weeks into being in college uh, because I didn't propose, right? And I wasn't ready, and, I didn't, and so they were ready to move on. And, uh, but I hadn't dated, you know, and so God's dealing with me. I want your dating life. And, and I was like, I can handle that. I'm doing pretty good with that. Had yet to date a real Christian. <laughs> I was just like, you know, going after people I was drawn to that uh, I thought were interesting and, and pursuing after this. And, you know, and, and God says, I want that. I want that right now. And I remember on campus, you know, the place where I really made a surrender of that and gave that to the Lord and, and invited him to be the leader of my life. And, and I met a young lady uh, shortly after that uh, that we dated for a little while. And she was a Christian. It was the first Christian relationship that I had. And I remember we got in the car and we we're going we're gonna to drive to uh, grab a meal. You know, this is a, our, one of our first dates. And as we, as we climbed in the car, I helped her, you know, this is all the stuff you do that, you know, you won't do now as, as <laughs> open their door and let them in, you know, <laughs> you know. and um, I go around, sit down, and I didn't even know she brought her Bible, right? She had a purse, and she pulled her Bible out, and she said, before we go, I want to read a passage of scripture. I'm like, whoa, this is different. <laughs> Empowering God in my dating life transformed it. It became something completely different. All of a sudden, I was looking for something different in my dating life than I had prior. Love is an attribute of God. To know it fully, we must know Him fully. And so Paul ends by saying, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, uh, the, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God, surpasses knowledge. What, what Paul is saying there to us, what, what God is saying to us through his word and through Paul, is that there is, there's no way you can know me without revelation. 
There's, there's no way to intellectually know me. This has to be revealed by the Spirit. You have to invite me in to be Lord and leader of your life. I have to reveal to you who I am. There's, there's no way you're going to understand this and grasp this. The length, the breadth, the depth of who God is. The saints are learning it together with Jesus enthroned together on their hearts and lives. Every time we come to worship, it's kind of like the cherubim, you know, that are flying around the throne that we see in Isaiah. Uh, and he was in his vision, he sees all these cherubim, you know. Uh, I don't know if you've read this before, but they have three sets of wings, right? There's two that they're flying with, and there's two they cover their feet with, and two they cover their face with, because they're in the very presence of the throne room of God. And they're calling out, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And initially, you know, you, you read that and you think, boy, this has been going on for like... Uh, Eons of time, because <laughs> well, there's no time in eternity, right? So this has just been going on. So are, are any of these guys tired? You know, spell me. <laughs> you know, you go in and do the holy for a while. I'm going to sit over here and take a break. Is that, are, they, are they wearied in any way by what's, what's going on? You know, they're in the presence, in the throne room of God. I think Jack Hayford uh, expressed uh, what I felt about that passage. He said that what happens is, is that, that God himself is like a multifaceted diamond to these beings that are flying around. And every time they think they, they've understood and figured it out, a new facet yes. of God is revealed. And they're like, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then another facet of God is revealed to them. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it is the same in our walk and our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? For those of you who, who've journeyed with the Lord on the throne of your life and, and you come to worship services, we sing songs like we did this morning and there's, there's these moments you're going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. I mean, you know, Amanda was emphasizing the pursuit of God after us and for some you know, of you online, for some of you that are here today, you're like, wow, God's been after me. God's been chasing me down. I didn't even know it. God's been pursuing me. He's been relentlessly coming after me. How awesome is that? How great is it that God loves me that much? The song we were singing about uh, praise, you know, and, and, and standing next to my sister-in-law who's here today and grateful that she's here. and She's gone through so much physically over this last year. And... Uh, she still has a reason to praise. <laughs> Through the darkest moments, the most difficult times, you know, where I still have a reason to praise. Amen. Surpasses knowledge. There's no way that we can know Him without revelation. And it has to be experienced and revealed to us by God through the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. Revelation begins, as Paul said, when we bow our hearts to the Heavenly Father. So let's talk about the practical of this message, okay? We've, we've come full circle, and uh, we, we have learned what this is all about. The heart is the seat of decision-making, and how God can transform that and help us to see truth rather than a lie and bring clarity to us. And I think we all, I hope you all, better understand what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the heart and not just your emotions and your feelings. But let's practically apply what we've learned today to a very real situation in our world, okay? Uh, this is the way we kind of better understand what this teaching is all about. 
So a very real situation in our world today is, is a rise of suicide. And uh, so a friend or a coworker or a family member makes you aware that they're considering committing suicide. Um, picture this for a moment and travel with me as we kind of try to put practicality to what our teaching is today, okay? So they tell you that they're considering committing suicide. So what actions are loving according to Scripture? How should the heart respond to that information that someone's given you? Okay, somebody that you know and have a relationship with has told you they're considering suicide. So what should you do? Number one, tell them you understand many people are thinking like that. You don't want to judge them and you support whatever decision they make. That sound like a good plan? Sound loving? <laughs> or, 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 you could do this. Number two, offer to help them find other people who want to commit suicide so they will not feel alone. That sound like the plan? Hey, uh, this is, this is exaggeration, right? But it's not. We're doing this. Not with suicide, maybe, but with people in other areas, because we're not calling sin, sin. And we're not telling them the truth in love. And we're making room for them and saying, you know, God just loves everybody. And so you're just wired a little bit differently. And uh, you know, we're, we're going to accommodate you. And to their, their you know, demise, to their hurt, to their harm. We think that is love. That's not love. Love is number three. Engage them with the gospel message. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Invite them to the kingdom of God and, and for God to come into their situation, their circumstance through prayer. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm tenaciously going to come after you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. And I'm going to do this all the way until you make a turnaround. Until this circumstance changes. I believe God can turn your heart and change your mind and give you a proper value and estimation of who you are and how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. Why? Because love is not comforting people in their sin. Love is not getting what we want. We talked about that earlier. I want that person. I want that thing. But that's not love. That's just us wanting something, right? And when we get it, you know, it, it doesn't love either. And even if it sometimes feels like that this could be right, it isn't the ultimate best for us. Love is not two people who want to be together. Love is not an emotional feeling. Love is not becoming an advocate for sin. Love is the heart awakened to sin and surrendered to the one who overcame sin, Jesus Christ. We don't just want our world happy. We want them in relationship with God. And sometimes, and all of you have experienced it too, there, there, there are some miserable things that happened to you on that journey. Some of you have come through you know, a burning hell on earth to get in this seat today and where you are online. It has been horrible, some of the things that have happened to you. 
And they are because of the evil that's on the planet and because of, of the enemy's purpose to do what, the, what we're told in John 10 and 10 has always been his plan, to kill, to steal, to destroy. We invite our worship team to come. Uh, it, is, it is because of that, that, that you came through that, but you're seated here because you still have a reason to praise. God rescued you out of that. He loved you through his family, and he invited you to a relationship that has transformed who you are. You don't fully understand it, but you're becoming a brand new creation in him. A brand new creation in him. And it's all because you said, I don't just want you here. I want you to be the decision maker. Because I've been making a bunch of them, and they're no good. <laughs> and so I really would like you to take over and start making the decisions on my behalf. Shed wisdom into my life so that when I make a decision, it's the right one. It is not the wrong decision. Show me how to make steps that are righteous and are going to lead to my benefit and the benefit of others who are around me. And show me how to love people even when they're difficult to love. Show me that I don't have to love their sin to love them. To impassionately go after them and tell them about Jesus Christ. Help me to walk the walk. Would you stand with me as we begin to worship in just a moment together? Love is a surrendered heart, not a captive one. Psalms 37 and 30 tells us the mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. Decisions made from the seat of wisdom are better than those that are made from ignorance. Someone you know may have invited you here today, but someone you may not know as intimately is speaking to your heart right now. And so Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, inviting. Bow your knee to him. Ask him to be Lord and leader of your heart today. Your heart is driving the decision-making in your life. The results that you're getting are the byproduct of who's driving, right? And so if you don't like where you're going and what's been going on, get a new driver. Invite God to drive. If you want better results, you need a better driver. Let's take a moment to do that. Father, we invite you to be the Lord and to be the leader of our life, to drive us where you want us to go. We know that there are ways that have seemed right to us, but they've led to some hurt, some harm, and uh, certainly not fulfillment. But even when we have empowered you to be seated on the throne of our hearts and lives, when we've gone through difficult things, we've felt the peace and the comfort and the strength you've always provided for us. As David said, I am young, uh, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen your righteous forsaken or your seed out begging for bread. God, you've always taken care of us. You surrounded us uh, with your family and we thank you for that. So God, we want to empower you to lead today and to be the decision maker in Jesus' name.